Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. Good morning, church. What a blessing it is to gather and worship our great God and to declare truth about who he is. And, you know, as we come this morning, I'm reminded that uh, the things that we will hear today, the things that we will be challenged with from the Word of God are only possible through Christ in us. Uh, and may uh, we embrace the call that we would have to, uh, to walk humbly uh, before Him and to uh, live our lives with everything we have for the glory of His name. And uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, so grateful that you're here. My name's Jason, and I'm one uh, of the pastors here, and we're, uh, again, just grateful for your presence, grateful for a, a great group that's gathered uh, online as well. Uh, if you are new to our church, uh, you've, you've already heard at some point this morning uh, the, the words love and action. You may have heard uh, that we're a, a church that, that exists and desires to empower generations to love God, love people, and put love in action, And when we think about that call, when we think about that uh, heart that we might have, we have to ask that question, what is love? And we're going to look at that today. And before we really dig into this scriptural uh, look at that in Romans 12, we want to look at some answers from some four to eight-year-old kids as they described it, right? And so here, here's the first one. Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. Uh, so my grandpa does it all the time, even though his hands have arthritis too. That's love. Rebecca, age eight. All right. Isn't that good? Yeah. When someone loves you, this is Billy, age four. He says, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Carl, age five, says, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Sherry and I try to do that every Thursday, right? It's just like date night, weekly, date weekly, right? We want to do that. Um, Yeah, good stuff here. Let's see. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Terry, age eight. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Yeah, that's good. Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Elaine, (laughs) age five. Marianne, age four, says, Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you've left him at home alone all day. And Jessica, age eight, finally says, You really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people forget. You know, when we say that word love, we recognize that in uh, the English language, we use that word love for a lot of things, right? Uh, How many of you love the Georgia Bulldogs right now, right? They're doing, yeah, some Bulldog fans in in the house. Maybe they're uh, playing well. Uh, You know, I love Thai food. I love my wife. I love the Georgia Bulldogs. I I love a lot of different things, right? And we're going to see today that when we read... Uh, this call that we have to love like Jesus and this call that Scripture is going uh, to give us, that that love looks a little different. Now, we're in the midst of a series called Therefore, and we're in Romans chapter 12, and we're just walking verse by verse through this chapter. And, and we began with this 
thought and this reality that the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans declare the mercy and grace of our great God. And in light of his mercy and in light of his grace, that we are called therefore, and the chapter begins that way, to live different, to live in light of his mercy, motivated by mercy, motivated by his grace. The scripture then says that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. You know, that, that's what Paul uh, said in Galatians 2.20. We sung about it. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. He said, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he said, motivated by mercy, our lives then are a response to the grace of God. And we live on mission for the glory of his name. He said, listen, we're to, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And then we don't want to be uh, conformed to the image of this world, to the patterns of this world, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the word of God. Uh, and as we gather in the people of God, that God would use all those things to transform us and to, and to make us look like Jesus. So grateful that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He said, we're confident of those very things in Philippians 1, 6. And so we're confident that God is working in and through us. And then he says, listen, we want to look at our lives correctly. We want to have a, a sober self-assessment, so to speak. We want, to, we want to recognize who we are and where we are. We don't want to think too much, uh, more highly of ourselves than we ought to, but with sober judgment. And then this reality that we're part of a family, right? We looked at the early church as we took a little side trail uh, in one of the weeks here. And we said that, that as those came to faith in Christ, they became us. And congratulations, you are part of a family. And God has gifted us, right, in this family. He's given us unique gifts in different ways that we uh, work together. And we handed out the little puzzle pieces and said, hey, we're part of something so much bigger. And, and as we work together and as we use, the gifts that God has given us, then he is glorified. And we come now to a very hinge point in uh, th this chapter and really in the book of Romans. And Paul says now, as the family of God gifted by his grace with these grace gifts to be used for the furtherment of his kingdom, we come together and this is how you live. This is how you love. This is how you walk, how we live, right? And, and Jesus would say that this community, this body of believers, that we would be a people who would be known by love. All right, Jesus in, in John 13, uh, he would tell his disciples, he would say, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And so this love, right, it's a community that is known by love. And the validity of the gospel is seen by the love and the unity. John 17, he, Jesus' prayer for us was that we might be one and that through that oneness, through that way, that, that the gospel uh, would be evident, right, that, that we would that people would see the truth of Christ entering into the midst of this brokenness, dying a sinner's death in our place, that, that through our love and our unity. So this is a big deal. This is a huge deal, right? Because this is the kind of love that changes the world. This is the kind of love that, that allows people to see Jesus and to see people's lives transformed through the gospel and the good news of Christ. And so therefore, when we read this, right, it's a, it's a heavy thought, right? It's a strong call that we have. And so I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read verses 9 to 13 uh, this morning, and we're going to walk through uh, those passages 
those verses together uh, this morning. Beginning in verse 9, the scripture says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Will you pray with me? Father, we are grateful. God, that when we look to the cross, we see love. Lord, that you demonstrated your love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, Lord, we've seen love. And we've experienced your grace. God, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to live in light of that. God, that we might be a representation to this world. God, to your hands, your feet. God, that we might be a people who love different than the rest of this world. God, that who love without hypocrisy, who love... Lord, this authentic love that we have experienced in you. God, and we know that this is only made possible, God, through Christ in us, through the love that has come to us, that is in us, and then is extended through us as we abide in you and we extend out into the midst of this world as an overflow of what you're doing in us. God, we pray, Lord, and ask you, Lord, to do a work in us today, Lord, that would cause us to live different when we leave this place, that would cause us to see every opportunity as an opportunity to love. And God, may through the power of your spirit, God, we see many people who are changed by your grace. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Now, when we read uh, this, this list, right, we, we open this, this scripture and we read it and it would appear that there's just this long list of uh, almost random exhortations, this long list of, uh, of just things that... Uh, that, that just kind of pile on top of one another. But the structure that Paul uses in this, it's hard for us to grasp when we see it translated into English. But what we see in the Greek is there's only one command in the Greek. And, and the rest of this, uh, there's these uh, really descriptions. There's these participles that, that, that allow us to see and give us a description of what this command looks like. And so what Paul says in, in verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Now that without hypocrisy, it is a a word, one word that's translated in the Greek. And so what we would see uh, is this, this command that our love is to be genuine, right? And so those of you that have been with us for a while know our little guy down there, right? That's our, our dream disciple. We say that, that, that we want every believer, right, to be a daily abiding, regularly sharing, intentionally discipling, force for good, where they live, work, where they play, where they're on mission, and that as they're transformed, as God is working in their lives, that, that, that the world that is around them uh, is impacted. And so as we daily abide, right, the, the scripture would say in John 15, that if we abide in him and him in us, that we would bear much fruit. Apart from him, scripture would tell us that we can do Nothing, right? But if we abide in him out of an overflow of this abiding relationship with Jesus, the scripture says then that we bear fruit. And one of the, the most beautiful and, and the first fruit, right, that's listed in Galatians 5 is this thought of love. And so this fruit is, is bared. And when we see these descriptions, it says that this person, right, that they're going to be someone who, who abhors evil, who clings to good, who's devoted in brotherly love, esteeming one another, somebody that's not lazy, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, patient, 
in hard times, generous, hospitable, always praying. These are, these are pictures of what this love looks like when it's expressed in the body of Christ. It's a picture of what it looks like when we walk in this command. Now, this word for love, it's a different word. Uh, in the Greek, there's multiple words that describe love. So rather than, uh, or that are translated as love. So in, when I think about loving my wife or when I think about uh, loving uh, Thai food or whatever those things, when we read this word, it is the word agape. And at this point in the book of Romans, it has been used in two ways. Primarily, it's been used to describe God's love for us. So when we read in Romans 8 about uh, the love, like, like that we can't be separated from the love of God. When we read those words, it's agape that is used. In Romans 8, 28, it's used in another way. And it's said that, that we know that all things work together for those that love him. Agape is the word that's used there. So it's used in a description of our love towards God. And then here in this passage, it's used to indicate the kind of love that Christians are to show others. Now, only in Christ. Is this possible? This is this God-like love that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situations, you know, as Clark was leading us in this time of corporate prayer, and as I was walking in the room, I heard of people that uh, had found out that cancer had returned. I heard of people walking through difficult situations and different situations, and regardless of those situations, there's, there's this trust and this overflowing love that is coming out of them. Jim Putman, in a book that I'm reading called Relationship, gives a definition of love that I love. And it's this, that love is a cross-shaped action that glorifies God and benefits someone else. A cross-shaped action, right, that glorifies God but benefits other people, right? And so when we read this passage, let our love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. What we understand is the motive of our love, the motive of our love must be the glory of God and the good of someone else. Because here's where we mess it up, right? Our, our nature, our sin nature, we, we love, but sometimes we love because we want something in return, right? If my motive to love my wife is because I want something from her, then my love is not without hypocrisy, right? If, if there's a love that is given and, and the heart of that love is to benefit ourselves, then it is not this kind of love that is sacrificial, that we're being called uh, to love in. It's not this, this type, and this love that we're called to, this is a love. Now, now our world says love's based on feeling, right? Our love says that everything, that, that love is a feeling and it's based on feeling. But what I want you to understand, this is a deliberate choice. This is an act of the will. It's not a, a feeling, this sacrificial love, this willful decision to love, even if we're rejected, even if, if we're in that place, and again, this is empowered by Christ, we're called to live out the highest love with the highest sincerity and the love that we express as followers of Jesus Christ and collectively as the body of Christ is to be genuine, is to be authentic, is to not be counterfeit. Now, how, how do we tell like counterfeit bills, right? When you pull them out, if somebody has a counterfeit bill, they'll look into the light, they'll look at different things. And one of the things that I read is one of the primary ways that a counterfeit is detected is by knowing what the real thing looks like. And, and, and you know, on Wednesday night, uh, we were in the men's Bible study that I lead. We were just connecting in there and just great interaction and feedback. And at the end of the class, we were talking about this next generation. And we were talking about all the things that are coming against them. And, and the question was asked, what does this generation need? 
And as we sat and as people gave different feedback, we were reminded that what this generation needs is the same thing that the generation before needs. We need to see the authentic love of Christ displayed in the body of Christ. And I'm afraid that so many times that people are not experiencing and seeing genuine love even in the body of Christ. We ask that question, do I love without hypocrisy? Now, we're going to see a few things in this passage. We're going to go through them uh, very quickly. But as we look at the rest of verse 9, we see love's conviction, right? We see this call to abhor what is evil. And, and here's a temptation we find, right? We live in a culture where the world has defined love and, and really has hijacked in so many ways the definition of love. And when we read that we abhor what is evil, for love to be without hypocrisy, what we see in this very first verse is that, that we, we must see evil as repulsive, right? We must see it as horrible. Like if you're a parent in here and you've had young children, uh, you all know that there's, there's been a time, right, where our kids, uh, maybe they're, they're in diapers and they're kind of, you know, just little and they don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden, uh, every parent, right, has seen that time where all of a sudden their kids have reached down in their diaper and all of a sudden they've pulled out like all this mess and it's all over them, Right? We don't even like talking about it. Like it's uncomfortable even to say like our kids have got poop all over them, right? They're holding it up. They've got it all over them. They're rubbing it in their hair. They're doing whatever because it's repulsive, right? But, but they don't understand. They're in the midst of that and, and, and they think it's like some kind of game. But we understand that it's dangerous. And, and when we see that, we rush to that, right? Because it's repulsive and it's awful. And, and we understand that when love is without hypocrisy, when we see the brokenness of this world and we see the evil that is around, it is repulsive to us, right? And a child might say, hey, if you love me, this is kind of how, how children might think. If you love me, you'll give me what I, I want. Like I, I hear parents a lot of times talking about social media. And the kid's like nine years old, and they're like, hey, you know, I think I need Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and the list goes on, right? And, and so, and, and they say, you know what, all my friends have it, which means like one friend has it, and they heard about it or whatever. And, and, and so they're, they're wrestling with that kind of thing. And, and a parent says, the child says, hey, if you love me, you'll give me what I want. And a parent says, if I love you, if I love you, I'll give you what is best for you, right? And as parents, we're not called to be best friends, right? We're called uh, to protect and guard and raise a generation to follow Jesus, right? When it comes to the social media thing, we, we all face that as parents. My daughter's uh, a 17 year old, years old and is a senior, and she still has chosen not to have Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and she survived. Like, it's a miracle, right? Now, there was a season of her life that we said, hey, you're not ready for that, and we're going to withhold that from you because that's what's best for you. And in that season of not having it, she was able to see that, hey, maybe the best thing for me to do is not have that because I see all the drama and all the mess, right, and all the stuff that's there. So, so, so we understand, right, when we think about this, we look, evil must be repulsive to us. We, we, we abhor what is evil. We cling to what is good. Now, we, we live in this, this culture that gives this temptation for us to condone sin or us to shift what God's word would say about sin and the world would tell you that we do that because of love. Love in this culture and in this world that we're saying that when we love, 
we affirm sin and we affirm things and we do all these things. But, but what we understand is that for love to be without hypocrisy, we must abhor evil and we must stand on the truth of the word of God. Because the, the love that God extends, the, the love of God, we understand is with grace and truth, right? We understand that, that it is in this way, right? It's this cross shape, right? The, the glory of God and the good of people. Now, what we must understand, though, is we don't see people as their sin. Now, when we think about this, this evil being repulsive to us, this doesn't mean that when we see people who are in sin that they are repulsive to us, right? Because we need to see people like God sees them, which would mean that when we see people who are in sin, we see people who have been created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and we see them as valuable, and we see them as people that, that have been created in, in the image of God, worth, value, and we extend grace, and we extend mercy, and we extend love to them, and this love has grace and truth. It's a love that allows us to see people in the midst of their mess and to share the truth of who God is and his great love. You know, I, I think about just the culture and the world that we live in when it comes to, to this kind of, of thought. And I think about Jesus. You know, we've been walking through the book of John. And in, in John 4, we see Jesus interact with this woman at the well. And when he sees this woman, he, he doesn't call her by her shame, right? He calls her by her name. And, and there's value. And, and what we understand is that in Christ, this woman can be a masterpiece, right? It can be transformed by the love of God and by his mercy and his grace. In John 8, we read of this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery and she's brought before Jesus. And, and in the midst of that, the law would say to stone her, right? And they're, they're asking him, right? They're, they're desiring that, that he would uh, send his judgment on her. And Jesus would say, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And, and then as they all leave, Jesus would say, woman, where are your accusers? And he said, neither do I condemn you either now go and leave your life of sin. See, that's grace and, and truth. That is love in the midst of brokenness and loving people in the midst of their mess and recognizing that through the love of God that they can be transformed by his grace. We see love's conviction. In the next verse, we see uh, this, this care that we have, right? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. We see love's care we see love's, uh, love for one another, this familial love that we have in the body of Christ, this giving preference to others where, where we're denying ourselves and letting others be seen as more valuable, outdoing one another in honor. Love's commitment, right? There's a, there's a passion that we have, this word fervent, right? We see it uh, fervent in spirit. This word fervent, it, it's a picture of being on fire or to be hot, boiling and flaming for Christ, right? This is fueled by the Spirit. And those who have been saved by His grace, we need to be getting after it for the glory of God, right? There's a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we cannot uh, sit back and we cannot uh, be silent in the midst of that, right? It's got to be fueled by the Spirit of God, but we need to be passionate about what the work is around us, serving the Lord. Luther said this. He said he worked so hard that when he went to bed, he literally fell into bed. One account says he didn't change his bed for a year. That's pretty tired, right? My wife's probably not letting me do that. Dale Moody's bedtime prayer as he rolled into, and he was a pretty good-sized fellow, and he hopped into bed, and they said that his bedtime prayer was, Lord, I'm tired, amen. 
John Wesley rode 70 miles a day and preached three times a day, right? There's a, a mission that we have, and we're to be after it for the glory of God. True love gets after it. True love labors. Here, here's the thing. We say love in action. There is no love that is agape love that is not love in action. We are called to be people of action for the glory of God. We see love's courage, right? It's not going to be easy. Rejoicing in hope. We know that this world, right, is not our home. And we know that one day Jesus is coming for his church. And so we don't lose heart in the midst of, of the difficult times. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation. But he said, take courage. I have overcome this world. Take courage. You can have hope. He says, we don't fix our eyes on the things that are temporal. We don't fix our eyes on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, right? We fix our eyes on those things that are eternal, devoted to prayer, right? We see love's courage fueled by prayer, rejoicing in hope, knowing that one day Christ is returning. We see love's contribution, right? Time, treasure, talents, right? Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, love on display. What we read in the Word of God, that, that above all things, we've got to have love. It, it, we understand that we can do all kinds of different things. And if we're thinking we're doing those things in the name of Jesus and we do not have love, then we're accomplishing nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 would say. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith and have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be born, to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Skip on down to verse 13. Scripture says, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. And when we read this passage, what we've got to know is that love brings power and purpose to everything that we do. Love is the thing that this generation is so desperate to see. It is the thing that changes everything. The Scripture says, let everything be done in love. As I was reading and, and praying about this week, I saw uh, just in a, a, a feed pop up uh, a testimony of a guy named David Nasser, who uh, many of our students have heard. David preaches uh, in a lot of student events, and his testimony I heard years ago, and it was very impactful uh, to me and, and just reminds me the power of love and what God does through his people when they sacrificially give of themselves. I want you to direct your attention uh, to the screen for just a moment. So I'm like, you go to church, and we start talking, and he tells me, he goes, yeah, man, I love church. Uh, you got to come to church with me. And I look at him, and I said, man, I, I'm like quasi-Muslim, like by heritage or whatever, but, but I just want you to know, I'm not going to church. And he said, why not? And I told him, I said, because I'm not religious. I hate God. God and I have issues. When I was eight, we had to escape from God and all this different stuff, but instead of giving up, you know what he does? He goes, he tries one last thing. He goes, well, let me tell you who's going to be there tomorrow at church. He names the five prettiest girls from my high school. <laughs> and as soon as he said the fifth girl's name, I was like, I, I feel motivated to want to come with you. <laughs> but I told him, I said, but you got to understand, dude, like there's no way my dad's going to let me go to church. He goes, what do you mean? I said, man, my dad doesn't know what I do on a Saturday night. Uh, he doesn't care. I said, but like, here's the thing. 
on a Sunday morning, he's gonna know, like, why am I getting up and getting, like, dressed nicely to go somewhere? I said, so my dad's gonna, he's never gonna, we're Muslim, like, as a hair, my dad's not gonna let me go to a Christian church. He goes, well, why don't you ask him? I said, I'm not asking him. He goes, dude, if you don't ask him, I'm gonna tell your dad, I'm gonna come in the house, tell your dad you're smoking weed. So I felt motivated to ask him. So on a Saturday night, just to get my buddy off my back, we both get out of the car, we go to the house, we walk in, he's standing at the door to make sure I'm gonna ask him. I walk down the hallway, I knock on my parents' bedroom door and I said, mom and dad, I'm sorry to wake you up, it's 12 o'clock, I'm home, I'm safe, I'm on time, no reason for you to get out of bed. I just wanna ask you something. This is with like the door closed between us. I said, I know you're gonna say no, just say no loud so my friend can hear, so he'll leave me alone. He wants to know if tomorrow I can get up and go with him to a Christian church. And instead of saying no, my dad's quiet for a few seconds and then he yells really loud, what is the name of it? And I have no idea what he's saying, but he's asking the name of the church. So my buddy gets it, right? My buddy who's stoned at the door, you know, he just yells really loud down the hallway. He goes, Shades! And, and Shades was shorthand for Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Everybody knew that in our town. It was right up the street from our house. And as soon as my dad hears the word Shades, my dad goes, I know those people. And I have no idea what that means. But what happened was, two weeks before that Saturday night, what I didn't know, is that two weeks before that Saturday night, there were these people from Shades Mountain Baptist Church, led by their worship pastor, a guy named Aubrey Edwards. Back then they called it music director, all right? This guy named Aubrey Edwards, who had come to my father's restaurant. My father had opened up a French restaurant. I know that's confusing, but stay with me, all right? So my father had opened up this French restaurant. And, and these people, two weeks before that Saturday night, had come to my dad's restaurant to eat. And while they were eating, they had seen how my father was shorthanded on wait staff. And instead of complaining about the bad service, Aubrey Edwards, the worship pastor, and these church people got up, rolled up their sleeves, and waited on tables at my dad's restaurant. And then they went back the next day and served them again. And then they started a relationship with my dad. And then Aubrey invited my dad to choir practice. And my dad, who does not like music at all, went to choir practice. Because love is magnetic kindness has a power. Kindness is a superpower. And so my dad went to choir practice and Aubrey Edwards introduced my dad to the entire choir on a Tuesday night. I said, this is my friend, Mr. Nasser. He needs helpers at his restaurant. And they passed around a piece of paper and decided to help him until he could hire the right people. And for two weeks, they had been coming in and being waiters and helping him at his restaurant. And God in his sovereignty had used that to massage my dad's heart, tenderize my dad's heart. I don't know any of this is going on, right? Fast forward two weeks later, I'm kind of stoned. I asked my dad if I can go to church. And instead of saying no, he goes, what He's the name of it. And then my, my buddy yells out the name of the exact same people that have been helping my dad. And my dad goes, I know those people. And then he goes, you can go there, but only there. Look at, look at me. Don't miss this. My story is not about some Iranian kid that turned out all right. It's about a church that showed up. It's about a worship leader. All right. It's about a worship leader that led worship, not with a guitar in his hand, but with a towel at my dad's restaurant on Tuesday. The only reason I get to be at your church this morning is because somebody at that church showed up on our turf and served. I call it worship service. And I'm just telling you, my testimony, the hero in my testimony is, is a local church 
a local church that didn't see Muslims as the enemy, but the prize. And my dad let me go to church. I got up, go to church. So next morning, put on my chinos, go to this church. I walk in the room. As soon as I walk in the room, imagine the biggest partier you know showing up to church. And all of a sudden, this guy named Larry No walks over to me and he goes, I'm so glad you're here. He and I had had like a weird incident about a year before that didn't go so well, but he's super nice to me and gracious to me and he sits down with me. And as soon as the Sunday school lesson was over, he looks over at me and he goes, man, I'm so glad you're here. Um, he goes, man, I, I, I got something, to, we got this rally tonight, you gotta come to it. And I was full of pride, so I was like, I got stuff to do. And you know what he said to me? He goes, okay, we'll come see you. And I had no idea what he meant. <laughs> but what I found out later was that they had this thing called visitation. Lost people call it harassment. <laughs> it's more aggressive than Amway friends. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm just telling you, 17 teenagers showed up at my house on Monday night. They were like, can we come in for a few minutes? And they lied. Three hours later, they were still in my house. And they had the beaded bracelet that goes through the Roman road. And they shared with me that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And there was only one savior and his name was Jesus. And when they got done telling me that, that my sin separated me from God and that Jesus had come and paid the price for that separation, that sin to be removed and paid for, and that if I gave my life to him, I would have salvation. And they got done and they said, do you wanna give your life to Jesus? I told them no. And on their way out of my house, they said, see you next week. And I had no idea what they meant, but <laughs> we were the Iranians, but we got terrorized by a Southern Baptist youth group. Yeah. I've loved hearing David through the years, and I could say without uh, exaggeration, I believe there are hundreds of people in our county that have come to faith in Christ under his preaching. Um, there are thousands uh, throughout uh, our nation and around the world. As he shares the rest of his testimony, he will talk about his sister coming to faith in Christ, and like four months later, his mother coming to faith in Christ, and a season later, his dad coming to faith in Christ, and then all those that we know of and people that we have been experienced in, in the call that we have as followers of Jesus Christ is to display and love in a way that, listen, we need to go out and love our town. Instead of complaining at the restaurant when, when we have bad service, instead of uh, being things we need to bless we need to be a people who would look for opportunities that we might extend the love of Christ. In, in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, we read of this lawyer, and the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus asks him about uh, what he sees in the law, and he says that, we would, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then Jesus would say, you've done well in that. And then he asked this question, who is my neighbor? And we know the story where he shares uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And we see this picture. But in that passage, he asked this question, who is my neighbor? And that parable answers that. And it's interesting in the Greek, that word neighbor, we think about neighbor meaning like somebody that's down the road from our house or somebody maybe that's, that's 
uh, you know, uh, uh, physically close to us all, all the time. But what we understand is, is anyone who is near. And, and what I want you to understand is we've been called to love God and to love people, to love those that are around us, whoever is near us in that moment. Every place that we go, every moment that we are in is an opportunity to share the love of Christ. And I believe with all my heart that God desires through us to wrap his hands, his feet, his arms around this town, around people in our community I read the story of, of after World War II, a group of German students had volunteered uh, to help rebuild an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by German bombs. And as the work progressed, they began, began to be concerned about this statue whose arms were outstretched and the hands uh, had been uh, just destroyed at the statue of Christ. And after much discussion, uh, the, the statue had on the, the base of it, it was a statue that would... would uh, extend arms, and it would say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. That was the inscription that was on it. And after much discussion, they decided to leave the hands missing, and they changed the inscription to Christ has no hands but ours. And in God's plan, he has entrusted his work, the work of Christ to, to the church, to you and I, to be the hands and feet of Christ to be people who will pursue love and who will love without hypocrisy, who would abhor evil and cling to what is good. And you know, when we see that, it's real easy for us to look at other people. It's real easy for us to think about the sin that's all around, but I believe God's called us to love people and hate our sin. You, you hear people say, love the sinner and, and hate their sin, and, and there's, there's truth in all that, right? But we're to love the sinner and hate our sin. And if we as the body of Christ will say, you know what, when we look around this world and we see the brokenness, we see the mud, we see the mess that's all around, we see a people who desperately need the love of Christ. But God calls us to look out and to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love people. I'm going to love sinners and I'm going to hate my sin. And, and I want to challenge you uh, as a church, I want to challenge us as individuals to pursue holiness. That's what the beginning of that verse says, that we would love without hypocrisy, that we would hate evil, that we would cling to truth and to good. And I, and I want to challenge you that we might be a people that would pursue holiness, that, that if there are things in our life, right, that, that, that are evil and wicked, sinful things that we know, that we know we need to be rid of, that we know we need to deal with, that we would deal with those things, that we would lay those things down. You know, in a room like this, you know, it, it may be pornography. It may be there's all kind of things that could fill in that blank. Statistics would say that, that maybe half the people in this room might be struggling with some type of sexual imagery or, or pornography. You know, we've got a, a class that begins uh, this, this coming week, this Monday night at 630 in the Hub. And if you're wrestling with some of those things, listen, we, we want to come in, in love and come alongside and we want to be a people who pursue holiness, that recognize that power in our public life, that it's related to purity in our private life. And there's a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And we need to hate our own sin. We need to deal with it so that God can use us effectively in this world. And we need to love because the greatest tool that we have, right? The greatest evangelism tool that we might have is a towel that our love might be without hypocrisy. Whatever sin it is that we have in our life, let's... Lay those things down. Scripture says, let us run the race with endurance that he set before us. Let us lay aside every weight, right? Those things that just slow us down. 
right? The one pastor says, hey, when those things, whatever you've got around you in your life, are they helping you run? Like there's a race, right? There's, a, there's people all around that need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we need to get rid of? Some of you say, I don't have time to love people. Listen, if you don't have time to love people, you've got things in your life that God didn't put there. Because he's called us to love him, to abide in him, and out of an overflow of that, to love people. What do we need to lay down? What sin is so easily besetting us? We need to lay those things down and look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? The one who, for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, despising the shame, right? When we think about what Christ has done for us, it is in light of that that we run this race. It's in light of that that we lay down sin. It's in light of that that we say we want to love well, that we want to be people who, who are walking in integrity. And, and, and our, you know, as we sing, we're going we're to come together. The band's going to come. We're going to worship. At this time in the service, we sing, right? We, we come, we pray. Maybe if you have a, a need that's in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to come uh, alongside you. Uh, as we talked about that statue, right? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest right in me. I will give you rest. And so if you're weary this morning, if you're heavy laden, we invite you to come, to kneel at this altar, to pray, uh, to, to, to lean into these moments. If you uh, have a need, we'd love to pray with you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we've been talking about the love of Christ that's been displayed on the cross of Christ. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we say Christ died for us, he died in our place. The scripture says that, that he took on all of our sin and all of our shame, that he became sin who knew no sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died on that cross. He was placed in a bar tomb. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. And the scripture says if we would look to that cross and the finished work of Christ and we believe that what Jesus did on that cross, that it was for me, that it was in my place. And if we would trust in him, turning from our sin and believing in the truth of the gospel, that we could be saved, that we could pass from death to life. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never trusted Jesus, to surrender your life to him in response to his grace and his mercy. Every moment that we have this week is an opportunity to love Maybe some of us need to just kneel on an altar and say, God, I pray that you would let me see who you want me to love this week. I, I, every day that out of an overflow of time with the Father that we might say, God, who do you want me to love today? And that we would be generous and that we would be sacrificial of our time, our treasures, and our talents. And that we would love like Jesus. And that we would be his hands and his feet. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your, for your grace and your mercy. God, we're so thankful that God, undeserving sinners can be made right with a holy God. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you have done on the cross. God, because of your great love. And Lord, we pray, God, that if there's someone here that's never experienced your love, God, that today they would see how your love demonstrated on the cross and then we would love. Lord, that cross-shaped love. God, the love that is extended not for benefit to us, but for the glory of your name and for the good of those around us. God, help us to love like that. Help us to be a church that shows up. God, put people on our hearts. Convict us of our sin. God, help us to love without hypocrisy, without a mask, without any false motive, but God, simply because you love us. Lord, we love you. Have your will and way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me and worship?